and thank you for joining in today for the official podcast of the Pearl Church. Today, Pastor Doug continues his series, Love God, Love People, with a message called, The Pursuits That Change Everything. As you listen today, allow God to create a new passion in you for the upcoming year. We are praying for you that as you pursue God, He will use you in ways that you could never imagine. Again, thanks for joining us today. And now here's Pastor Doug with The Pursuits That Change Everything. All right, so this is part two from last week. And what I wanna do is I wanna talk about four things this morning that we pursue that are life-changing. Now, there are certain things in life that you experience that genuinely are life-changing. I talked to a young man recently, and I said, tell me the most life-changing experience that you've ever had. And, you know, he looked at me and he, and he said, I don't know if I've ever had anything that was life-changing or life-altering for me, either good or bad. It's just been sort of a, an existence. I've just sort of done my thing and I'm growing up and this is who I am. Well, there are things in our lives that are life-altering. An example would be uh, if you, at some point, you get married. Married people, how many of you know that marriage is a life-altering experience? Come on. There's a lot of men that just amen right there. It's interesting because sometimes the men amen and then other times the women will give me a little shout out there. But how many of you know marriage is life altering because what happens is, is that uh, you're no longer alone. You now have to think about the other person. You now have to have conversations about everything that you used to have conversations uh, with just by yourself. You'd have thoughts by yourself. Now you're discussing it with your spouse. And so all of a sudden, life changes, and your destiny is now connected. Um, I think that when you have children is another one. And another life-altering experience is when you have children. I'll never forget when my daughter Kaylee, she's here this morning, when she was born and she came home, I'll never forget putting her in the car, in her car seat, and driving home and thinking to myself, that first night, there's somebody else in the house, and they're never leaving. Like they're there right now, right now. And then like 30 minutes later, we're up and 30 minutes later, we're up again and, you know, and, and it's just life altering. Life never goes backwards. One of those life altering experiences is when you have a relationship with Jesus, when Christ comes into your spirit and your life and you are regenerated. Now that's a, regeneration is a Greek term that simply means that your spirit now has come in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now you're on your way to heaven and now you have an experience that where you've been forgiven of your sins and regeneration. It is life altering. It is life changing because now your life is, is spent living the implications of that moment. And so now for the rest of your life, everything that you do is lived in the reality that Christ uh, has, for, has forgiven you. You've been forgiven of all your sins Wow, what an incredible experience to be forgiven of all your mistakes. Come on, somebody. I mean, we don't, maybe we don't talk about that enough. Maybe we don't talk about grace enough. Maybe we don't talk about what it means to be forgiven. I mean, really forgiven for every one of your mistakes. How many people here have ever made a mistake? Mm. How many people here have ever really made some mistakes in life? Can you wave at me? Can you smile at me? How many of you are excited that the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all your mistakes? 
past, present, and future gone off the slate. The board's wiped clean. I mean, how incredible is that? And sometimes we hold ourselves accountable for things that Jesus isn't holding us accountable for anymore. We, we bring things up that Christ isn't bringing up. We talk about things that Christ isn't talking about. We, we put things on other people that Christ isn't putting on other people. And I'm telling you that life is a journey of experiencing life the way God wants it to be lived. Through, through the implications of the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary who died for your sins. And now we all get to go to heaven. Huge impact in your life. As a matter of fact, we said it this morning. We talked about the cornerstone. The cornerstone is incredibly important. A couple of years ago, I used it as a, as a short illustration in another message, but I realized today I think I'm going to do a message in the Love God, Love, Love People series where maybe we need to do the cornerstone again. Maybe we need to, to talk about building the wall and putting all the things in our life in order, okay? Another one that's life-altering. Now, listen, some people... Now, especially if you've been around for a while, okay? So I am an old school person. I like to, and I'm proud of that. So all the new school people, you have pride because you help me with my cell phone. And you tell me, explain to me how things work like websites, and all, but I'm old school and I'm proud of it. I'm proud. I am. <laughs> I'm a child of the 80s. Uh, I impacted the 90s. The millennium came and, 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 and Y2K didn't happen. And I, I think there's still water in my basement in bottles. And, but I'm proud of being old school. But you know, you know we, talk about, we talk about old school these days as if it was a bad thing. And we, we say, oh, that's old school. Well, what do you mean? Prayer. Prayer meetings. Man, old school. Old school prayer meetings. Well, why can't old school prayer meetings be new school prayer meetings? Why do we have to, why can't we still have prayer meetings? You know, why, why can't we still get together with the whole church and pray? And we'll do that in January. We have a night set aside just for prayer. Uh, why can't old school, why can't old school uh, uh, messages and revival and words like revival? Is, we got into a season in the church and we were afraid to use words like revival because, because people got all kind of weird about what revival means. And I remember, oh, I remember teaching a Bible college class and having debates about the word revival. Well, are, you, are we praying for an awakening or are we praying for revival? Pastor Doug, because awakening is people who don't know Christ and revival is for people who know Christ but are dead. Are we praying for dead people to be revived? Are we praying for new people who have never been revived to come alive? Because I need to know how to pray. I remember thinking, I think 18, 19 year old debating over words that don't matter. Can we just pray for Jesus to move? Can, can, can we just, just kind of go old school? Some of you don't remember old school. You weren't here. Now I'm talking to a very small group of people perhaps, but just picture this. Picture this. <clears throat> Church in the morning. Church in the evening. <laughs> church when the sun goes down. I mean, church all day. You know, we laugh about it and we joke about it. And church was so much work back then. You know, it was like, man, I'm sure glad we're not having Sunday night services and two services in the morning and then within prayer, prayer before for 45 minutes and, and then afterglow. I don't know if anyone was around for the afterglow, but that was like church first service, church second service, and then eat lunch and then try to catch 15 minutes of power nap before pre-service prayer for 45 minutes and then a Sunday night service and then afterglow. 
Afterglow was the after, the prayer meeting after church prayer meeting. We would have prayer meetings from like, from like, from like nine o'clock to 9.45. And I'm telling you, those prayer meetings were on fire, on fire. Now people say, well, that was legalism. No, it was a prayer meeting. Oh, I'm sure glad we don't do that anymore. Uh, you know what? I'm kind of glad we're not going all day and all night too because I don't know if I'd survive. But I'll tell you what. Some of those people changed the world. We talk about the great generation, the great generation, the World War II generation. I have an uncle, a great uncle, um, that I've told the church about way in the past, but he, he was a military guy. Um, he was the head of all hand-to-hand combat for the U.S. military in the 40s and 50s. He's, he was an incredible man. He's in his 90s still today. He's part of the great generation. I don't know how much longer that he's going to be around. My Uncle Tony, we talked about the great generation and all that they accomplished and the way that they saw the world and how they believed. They believed so big and they believed so wide and they believed for so many things and they accomplished it. Did you know that in the spirit there was a great generation? That old school, great generation changed the world. We talk about them in some of our meetings. You know, you remember this person, and do you remember that person? And do do you remember remember David Shock, you know, the great prophet? I remember David Shock. Do you remember uh, this person and and that person? And we go, yeah, they were a part of the great generation. We have a, a grandfather in our family who went to Africa, and out of his move to Africa, there are thousands of churches across East Africa that have, that have been birthed, and there's literally millions of people who have been touched by the gospel, and it's because he was a, a great generation. You know, great generation. Get out on the corner in Africa with a, what do you call those things that you're talking to? What? Yeah, mega, megaphone. <laughs> That's old school. <laughs> megaphone. And preach. And preach the gospel on the corner. And people get saved. And out of that comes thousands and thousands of churches. The old school. You know that the old school, if we ever make the old school, the old school and never make it the new school, we all need to have a revival. Because there's a part of us that must be spiritually aware and spiritually hungry to see God move again. And, and I believe that that as the generations go by and the decades move, I do believe that the body of Christ matures. I believe that there is a maturity to the body of Christ. I believe that the church matures. I believe that theology matures. I believe that, that, that theology is incredibly important. It's based on scripture. Scripture doesn't change. But you know, we learn things as we go. Um, there are different theologies that maybe 25 years ago we didn't really accept, but now we start to see kind of, oh, wow, there, there's some definite validity to what that group of people believe. The body of Christ is less judgmental than it's ever been. Can you imagine that? That's the way I view it right now. The body of Christ is less judgmental than it's been in my whole Christian existence. In other words, you know there are fewer and fewer books being written about each other and how we're all wrong. Isn't that exciting? Come on, let's put our hands together that people are growing up. Amen. So now, that was such a weak clap. Now, if you go to the bookstore, if you go to the bookstore, you'll, you won't see on one side of the aisle books written about the people on the other side of the aisle because the body of Christ is maturing. And so old school, all right? So another life-changing experience is, is I believe, so you, get, you get saved and then you come into the body. And I believe that joining a local church is a life-changing experience. 
Because, because when you attach yourself to the body, you actually now are responsible for about five or 600 other people. So where you have been responsible for just yourself, now you are part of a body. That's what part, being part of a body is all about. It's about loving each other and caring for each other. And it's about not judging each other. It's about encouraging one another and encouraging people to become more in Christ or to become, become all that they can be in Christ, I should say. That the, being part of the body is about losing your individualism and, and being a part of something that is bigger than yourself. And most people will live their whole life on an individual journey. They will walk their journey thinking about my job and my education and my money and my retirement and my, the old school generation, the old school, the great generation, they sold everything for the call of God. Nothing, not, there was nothing left. When it was time to go to Africa, you sold everything and you went to Africa. And there were no ties, there were no ropes, there was no, maybe there's a back door, there was no back door. Man, if we can live life without a back door, if we can live inside the call of God without a back door, so that when things get uncomfortable, that we just begin to get all fidgety and we start to think inside of our head, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of here? How can I, how can I go back and make it all work? How can I go home where it's comfortable again? There was no back door. There's no back door because there's no way to communicate. Uh, my mother-in-law, father-in-law, they went to Africa on a barge. It took them like three months or something on a barge to get to Africa. Christmas gifts, they get sent at Christmas. They arrive in June. And it still works that way, actually. Uh, there was no way to communicate. There was no email. You couldn't make a phone call. You know what you did? You got a hold of the word of God in your life. What is God saying to you that he wants you to do? You sit down with your checkbook, your pocketbook. You decide how much money you have, what is there, and you sell everything. You put it into cash. And you try to get it to Africa and you live and you believe God that there's going to be a revival and that thousands of people are going are to get to know Jesus and God's going to take care of you. In the good times and the bad times, there's, a, there's an old school call of God that I think that we have lost. It's just all I want you to do is, is just hear me on this. There's a part of us where if we pursue God in that pursuit, there will be a voice that we will hear clearly. There will be a spirit that comes upon you. There will be an anointing on your gifts and talents. The Holy Spirit will move through you in signs and wonders and miracles. And yes, I do believe in signs and wonders and miracles. I do. I've seen them with my own eyes. I mean, how, how, can, I, how can I deny what I've seen with my own eyes? My theology, I have my theology before my experience. Many people have their theology, but they never have an experience to back up their theology. The Bible says... That the word of God and the preaching of the gospel will be followed by signs and wonders. It will be followed. So you have your theology, but then you have to have enough faith to lay hands on somebody who's sick and to see the wonder happen so that it can back up your theology. And so we have a world and a generation of people who are walking through their Christian existence and they have their theology, but they never do anything to try to back it up. And so they have a hard time defending their theology so their theology gets watered down. And their theology becomes very ambiguous, and we don't know what we believe. We just kind of believe this, but we don't do it. Is anybody hearing me today? Woo! Is anybody out there today? <laughs> We're pursuing Jesus. Can you say pursuit? So there's a, a group of people in every city. I believe this, and I, I believe for every church, there is not one church, there is not one pastor that we do not pray for. 
But if there is a move of God, now a move of God. Do I mean by move of God, do I mean um, just manifestations of the Holy Spirit? No. Some of you have never seen a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It might happen, you know. Don't run. Do I mean manifestations of the Holy Spirit? No. By revival in our city, I mean, I mean, is the church healthier than it's ever been? No. Denver, Colorado needs healthy churches. Is the, is the work of the Holy Spirit um, manifest in the people? In other words, are the people manifesting? Are the people laying hands on the sick? Are the people believing God that the Holy Spirit can speak to them in unction, in words of knowledge? Is, is the church growing with revival or church people, and are there people who have never had a relationship with God going to the church? If there are people who have never known God going to the church, that's a very healthy thing. Healthy thing, did I call it a healthy thing? That's the Bible. That's the Great Commission. So revival is the church growing at a pace that, that keeps it living and vibrant. And across the city, can you see the work of God happening in the church? By the way, this is a side note, but on February 22nd, I believe, the next citywide worship will be here at the Pearl Church. So if you have never been to one of those, this, this building will be packed out, out the doors. We're going to have to rent hundreds of chairs. We're going to have to have overflow in the lobby. And I'm praying that our church shows up, everybody shows up, and that all the visitors can't get a seat. I hate to say that, but I don't know what else, how to believe. I want you here. I want them here too, but it's going to be packed out. And I'm, I'm not joking. It's going to be packed out from, from, from right here, wall to wall, standing room only, out the doors and overflow. And um, please come and be a part of citywide worship. We're not leading the worship. Another church is coming to lead that event. I think that is so good and that is so healthy for us to be able to worship with the city and, and when, when citywide things begin to happen and it flows and it's healthy, do you know that's a, that's a great thing? It means God's beginning to move. So life-changing experiences, the local church, being a part of the body, uh, experiencing things in the city, this is the way church life was supposed to be lived. And then out of that, out of that, we begin to experience mission. Mission is, is phenomenal. Mission is, why are we in this neighborhood? Why are we on Hamden here, on this corner? Who around this, who around this property needs to know Christ? Why did God send us here? Can we transform our community? Now, if you don't know who our neighbors are, let me tell you who our neighbors are. Of course, we have the dance club next door. Notice I called it a dance club. Amen. We have, we have a... We have um, several, several marijuana shops. We're actually kind of a hub for um, new technology in, in, that, in that arena. We have a great golf course across the street. We've got the Denver Tech Center two blocks away. We have about 15,000 people that live within just two or three blocks all around us. I have a question for you. Is there anybody here today that lives right in the neighborhood, close to the church, within just a couple of minutes? Will you lift your hands? If that's you, lift your hands. Look around, people, and clap and tell them how much you love them. Now, this is incredibly important. You begin to live, you begin to live your life according to mission. And once mission begins to happen, then the system begins to flow. The system begins to shape, it begins to take form. 
And then you can see something that maybe you've never seen before. Okay, so all of this is the pursuit. It's pursuing. Now, I want you to take four things down. Number one, the pursuit is pursuing Jesus. It's the pursuit of Jesus, his will and his work. Notice here, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you. It is Jesus who is doing the work. If we ever think that we're the ones doing the work, we will burn out. As a matter of fact, there are atmospheres that I pray never descend on this house. One of those atmospheres is the spirit of works, where we feel that we are responsible for what God said he would do. We're actually responsible for how we respond, but we're not responsible for the work itself. God is building his church. That's what the Bible says. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so um, his will and his work for it is God who works. If we take on the works ourselves, we will burn out. And then burnout creates bitterness. Make no mistake about it. If you experience burnout, the next step is bitterness. And if you get to the bitterness stage, it'll take you to the third stage, which is where you begin to blame the body of Christ for what's happening in your life. People who have burnout become bitter, but they become bitter towards the body, and then they're isolated. And once you become isolated, now you have set yourself up for an attack from the enemy because the enemy goes after isolated people. He has a hard time coming against the body. But if you're isolated and you have a problem with church and you have a problem with authority and you don't like pastors and all pastors are bad and churches are bad, then you are isolated. And listen, I've said this before, but God, to steal your destiny, does not have to destroy you. He just has to isolate you. He's just got to keep you from believing and keep you from having faith and keep you from, from pursuing and keep you from singing and keep you from worshiping and keep you from attaching yourself to the body. If the enemy can keep you isolated, he has now captured your future and you've got to break out of that. Okay, so we don't want that atmosphere on our church for it is God who works, it's not man. Now, if you're, it, uh, there are two things here. Uh, there's a law that John Maxwell did years ago This reminds me of this law. It's called the law of diminishing returns. Have you ever been working really hard, but you feel like you're not getting anywhere at all? Or maybe you're working as hard as you can, harder than you've ever worked, but you're not seeing the fruit. The law of diminishing returns is where you, your work, your works, if I, if I can say it that way, is not producing what you want it to produce. And so you continue in the pattern. You work as hard as you can. And you think that if you work harder and harder and harder, that you're going to have fruit. And that fruit doesn't come. And so you have reached the law of diminishing returns. So the only way to break the law of diminishing returns is to get off of the treadmill. Religion and works is a treadmill. You're running really fast, but you're not going anywhere. Did you know that religion is a treadmill? Works is a treadmill. So you have to get off the treadmill. You've gotta slow down. You've gotta stop your spirit. 
You've got to get your mind right. Spend time in worship. Spend time in the word and recalibrate yourself so that God can do the work that we begin again to follow him instead of try to lead him. So if we can recalibrate, then all of a sudden the law of diminishing returns. All of a sudden you're doing a smaller amount of work for a, and you're getting a lot more fruit. You're almost, and that's the way God is. God does things and, and you get incredible amounts of fruit from it, but you didn't hardly do anything. You just kind of showed up and something happened and you're like, wow, how did that happen? That was a, that's called a miracle. That's called Jesus. That's what, he, that's what he does is how he works. And then you get off the treadmill, you slow down and you get rest. The only way to mess this up is if you do this. Look at what the verse says. For it is God who works in you, both to will, can everyone say the word will? Both to will and to work for his pleasure. Can you say pleasure? So we're, we're letting God do the work, we're helping him build, but it's for his will and for his pleasure. And if along the journey, if Christ isn't the cornerstone, what happens is, is that we begin to think that everything we're doing is for our will and it's for our pleasure. I'm building my world, I'm doing this for me, and it's so that I can be happy, and so that I can be fulfilled, and so that I can have the American dream, and that I can have what everybody else has. And so if we're doing it for me, and we're doing it for my pleasure, then all of a sudden we begin to separate from God's, letting God do the work, and we begin to do the work ourselves because God, the Bible says in Matthew 6.33, to seek first the kingdom of righteousness, to seek him first, and all of the other stuff will be added unto you. It's one of the dichotomies of the kingdom. So the more that we focus on Jesus, his will, and his pleasure, what is he trying to do? What makes him happy? What's he trying to do in the world? Then that reciprocates. He reciprocates that to us, and all of a sudden, we're happier than we've ever been, and we're accomplishing more than we've ever accomplished because we've learned how to surrender. Number two. Number two is this. Pursuing the right people in your life. Four pursuits that will change your life. One is pursue Jesus above everything. Number two is pursue the right people in your life. So the question here is, how do people impact your journey, your pursuit? There's a great verse in Galatians that I love, and I, I listed it last week, but here it is. Galatians 5 says this. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Because that kind of persuasion does not come from God it, and, and the one who calls you. So you were running a good race. Who told you a lie? Who cut you off? If you've ever seen a race where someone's running a really good race and they're in the lead, and you, especially, you know, I've seen it in the Olympics and stuff, and you just, it just kills you when, when someone's in the lead, and then all of a sudden they trip or they fall or somebody trips them and they lose, they miss out. So somewhere along the line, who was it that got in, in your lane? Who is in your inner circle, and why are they there? Let me give you a couple of verses. Now, I want you to write these down if you're taking notes today. Jeremiah 23, verse 18 says this. Who is in the Lord's inner circle and sees and hears his word? Who pays attention and listens to his word? This is God's word's translation, but who's in the inner circle? Your inner circle needs to be people. You need to pursue people who want to talk about the things of God, talk about the word. 
You know, if you never have anyone in your circle that you can talk about the word with and your journey and your destiny, can you talk about the things of God with them? Um, Does what they have to say bring value to your journey and your life? Who is in in the Lord's inner circle? Who sees and who hears his word? There are some people who just can't, and it's okay, we understand that, but we've got to be with people who pay attention to what God is doing. Here's another one. Um, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 13.20 says, become wise by walking with the wise. And if you hang out with fools, you will watch your life fall to pieces. So you need to hang out with people in your inner circle that, that have God's ear for you, that have God's will for you, that are encouraging you to be all that you can be in Christ, people who are praying for you. And then you need to hang out with people who are wise. Find wisdom. There are so many people in the world who are on a search for knowledge because knowledge always equals power. But knowledge is not the first thing for God. Wisdom, wisdom is what God wants us to have. Become wise by walking with the wise. Because if you hang out with fools, your life is going to fall to pieces. So people who have God's will in mind for you and people who have wisdom. People who have wisdom to share. Number two. Number three is the pursuit of the presence of God. Psalms 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I think it's important that you remember that that God is always with you. Where could you go? You can't go anywhere. Some people have fear from two things. They fear, number one, that God is not with them. And number two, they fear that God's not going with them into the future. Some people, they're afraid that God's not with them now. Some people are like, okay, I see God now. But if I take the step of faith, is God going to be with me as I go into the future? God is with you now, and he's with you in the future. Exodus 33, verse 14 says, And he said, My presence shall go with you and give you rest. Now, the word rest in Scripture, an incredible word, an unbelievable word, an amazing study. Jesus is our rest. We don't find our rest in anything but in Christ. Some people, because they're afraid that God's not with them, or they're afraid that God's not going to go with them, they never have peace. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding is one of the most phenomenal experiences that you can experience in your life. When regardless of what is happening around you, you have peace. Because you know that God's with you, and he's going forward into your future with you. We saw it. God has always been with his people. It was fire by night in the Old Testament. It was a cloud by day. He was in the Ark of the Covenant. He was here with Jesus, and now he's here in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is always with you. Uh, And number four, a pursuit of a confident, faith-filled future. Now, my wife and I discovered something this last week. It is a new version of, of Philippians chapter three. Now for those of you who have read the Passion Translation in whatever area, they actually haven't released this in a whole Bible yet, but my wife has just, um, just certain portions in the Passion Translation. I think it's the best translation of Philippians chapter three that I've ever read. Now, I'm a little bit of a, ner- of a, of a nerd, a, a, a Greek nerd, okay? 
Um, I'm not great at the Greek in, in the sense that I don't speak. Okay, forget the Greek. Um, but they kept it very close, very close to a transliteration. They kept it very, very close to every participle that is laid out in Scripture. They kept it close, but they gave it sort of a modern spirit. And I, I love this translation. A faith-filled future. Let me, let me read it to you. Now you've, now, you've heard this so many times. Pressing forward to the things that are ahead, forgetting what is behind, going for the, the goal in Christ Jesus. But listen to it in this version. Philippians 3, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I am pursuing. But I will run with passion, with passion. Watch some of these words, pursuing. But I will run with passion into his abundance. How incredible is that? So that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called to fulfill and wants me to discover. And I love this because it says that in the future, that, there, that if I run passionately, if I pursue passionately into the future, I will discover something that God has for me. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus, a compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future. What an incredible phrase. To fasten my heart to the future. What that means in the, in the original language in, in your Bible will probably say hold on or I, I, I hold on, I hold close, I hold dear. But that, that means to commit. It means, it means it's the picture of, of, and if you look at the next word here, it says, um, forget all the past and I fasten my heart to the future as I run straight for the divine invitation. The divine invitation. What it means is that it's like if you have a ticket um, on a plane or a train and as soon as you as you hand that person the ticket, you have the invitation to get on. So you hand them and you step across the threshold and the door closes that you're off and running. So you have fastened yourself to something. You've locked yourself to something. You've, you've taped, chained yourself to your future with God. You are holding it. You are not going to let anything take it from you. You are fastened, locked to it. You are inside of it. Uh, Paul talks about living uh, with a perspective where you're in the middle and you look all around you and all you can see is the call of God. So you fasten yourself to the invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone's not there, if they're not gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. And let us all advance together to reach the victory prize and follow one path of passion. You know, um, this next, this, this little verse here where it says, and if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. We'll stop right there today and we're gonna pray. And then after I pray, uh, or maybe, maybe before, will you stand to your feet? We're gonna wrap this up. I wanna read something to you today. I have a... I have a declaration that I want us to read out loud together for 2016. So why don't you go ahead and go to the, uh, the declaration, Janelle, and uh, we're going to read it together, okay? Now, 
before we do, I want to say to you, there are some people here today, God is revealing this world to you. He's revealing his passion to you. He's revealing to you that he's got a plan for your life. He's revealing something to you. It's almost like the first stone has been laid and now you can see the path. So if you're here this morning and and you feel God revealing himself to you, that you have a purpose, that God's got a plan, he's got community for you and friends for you and finance for you and family for you and all these things, he's revealing it to you. This this declaration is especially apropos for you today. I want us to do this. We're going to read this nice and loud. Now here's the deal. We've got to read it with some passion, okay? Because we're pursuing, right? The fervent, effectual declaration works. Amen. So we're going to be passionate, okay, because we're believing this today. And uh, I want you to read it out loud with me. We're going to start. And we'll say, we'll say 2016. I know that all of you 2016 people are, are going to have a hard time, but we're going to do this, okay? So I'm actually going to walk right down here because I'm part of the church too. And here we go. Let's read this together. 20, I did it. I did it. I did it. Billy was so worried about it. Here we go. 2016 will be a year of favor, a year of understanding, a year of anointing, and a year of God's presence. Regardless of the circumstances, I will not lose focus of the God goal, the heavenly calling, and God's purpose for my life. We declare God is going before us. He is changing the circumstances and leading me into his perfect will. Jesus, you have my best interest in mind, and I am making myself available for your purposes. As Psalm 68 says, let God arise and his enemies be shattered. We pray for revival in our city. Lord, we declare this to be a year of God's wonderful presence, healing, and transformation of people by your grace. Today, we declare that God is in control, and we are excited for what God is going to do in the year ahead. In Jesus' name. Now, I want you to start on today. Let's say that again. Today, we declare that God is in control, and we are excited for what God is going to do in the year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everybody. Give them a big round of applause this morning. Amen. Now, I want to pray for